It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. Brett Baer. President Biden takes a trip across the pond to Ireland, visiting Northern Ireland to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will also be present at the historic summit. The trip comes after President Biden says he plans to run in 2024, kind of a side comment, but that the White House is not ready to announce the campaign just yet. Are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either, so either, either roll an egg or you know, being the, the, good, you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Come on, help a, bro- help a brother out. Make no, some news no, for no, me. No. I, well, I, I plan on running now, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. The National Security Front and Center as the Justice Department and the Pentagon have opened an investigation into the leak of classified documents from the Pentagon perhaps from the intelligence community overall, containing information on the war in Ukraine. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Fox News contributor, NPR national political correspondent, Mara Lyason, member of the Wall Street Journal editorial board, former speechwriter for President George W. Bush, Bill McGurn, and Fox News White House correspondent, Peter Ducey, traveling with the president in Ireland, uh, Northern Ireland today. <laughs> Peter Set the stage for us today. Yeah, Brett. The thing about this trip is it doesn't do anything to address the things President Biden has been telling us for two plus years, and especially over the last couple months as he prepares what looks like a re-election campaign. Uh, The things that he says matter the most. It doesn't address a rising China. It doesn't address inflation, which is apparently his number one domestic priority, except when he says that it's guaranteeing access to abortion rights. And it doesn't do anything to end the war in Ukraine. And so uh, we're told he's going to come. He'll meet with the – while he's here, he's going to meet with the leaders of the five main political parties in Northern Ireland. Then he's going to head to Ireland. And it sounds like the highlight is just going to be retracing his roots. So it is a look back at Biden history instead of a look forward, which a presidential reelection campaign would be. But – that's what they're going with. Yeah, Peter, and the the comment that the president makes at the Easter egg roll, just is it eye rolls, you know, <laughs> coming out of that? It just seems like nobody that is outside of his real tight inner circle, which would be like the first lady and maybe his adult children and uh, a handful of aides that have been with him for the last 40 years, really know what is going to happen at all signs point to him running again, but they're not explaining why even off the record uh, or on background, why it's taken so long. Mara, the president um, 
is in the middle of a lot of things, uh, as presidents are wont to do. In, and there are a lot of controversies surrounding uh, this, not only domestically, but around the world. And this visit to Northern Ireland is, is a moment, uh, but there's a lot of things to focus on, including this latest leak of classified documents that really potentially is embarrassing for the U.S. to allies around the world. Absolutely. And I think you've probably been on plenty of these trips I have where you go with the president overseas and they want a kind of feel good trip like Biden wants in Ireland, exploring his nice Irish roots. But the topics that he's asked about by the press are all about other things, things are happening that are happening back in the United States and especially this big national security leak. Um, it's a big deal. And the administration so far has had very few answers about it. It's a big mystery. How much of these documents are authentic? How come they were released? How did they get to be released? Why were they on these gaming websites and kind of corners of the Internet and nobody knew about it? Uh, so I think he's going to be asked about that. And the, the question for me for this trip is how much it will be overshadowed by all those other things that you just said he's in the middle of. Things yeah, that have so nothing to do with Ireland, a nice, green, pleasant Ireland. <laughs> That's right. And I've been on many of these trips and you're right. Yeah. Sometimes the news of the day overtakes the message and the moment that the White House would like to focus on. And let's just go back and set the table on these documents. So far, you know, we've talked to defense officials, intelligence officials, and there are 53 documents that have posted so far. Many of these came from between February 23rd and March 1st. Um, and they have details of the war in Ukraine, battlefield assessments from the Pentagon. Uh, and those are on a classified level delivered electronically, usually to secure iPads and not printed out. These are pictures of actual printouts. Uh, and investigators from the Justice Department and the Pentagon are trying to track out exactly where they may have been printed. But this goes beyond the regular classified briefings. This has uh, highly classified intelligence that was not a part of any DOD briefing book, and there appears to be other U.S. intelligence agencies like the CIA and NSA who are involved here, and it's not easily accessed by folks inside the Pentagon from what we're told uh, what they've seen. But Bill, it, it, it runs the gamut uh, to the point where some of it is the U.S. listening in and spying on our allies. Other parts is an assessment of maybe not as good as uh, as the Ukrainians are said to be publicly doing in the war, uh, kind of a raw assessment that may give Russian President Vladimir Putin some some ammo or at least some confidence in that war. Yeah, I mean, look, the hardest thing when you're at war is assessing the real capacity of the enemy. And the more you know, you know, usually you take an educated guess. But if you're weighing some action and then you get intelligence confirming the situation is worse than you had thought, um, or that it's better than you had thought, you're going to change your calculations. So it could affect the whole raft of decisions. I also think it's dangerous because a lot of the information is also revealing of um, who might be giving it. You know, the things that are most valuable sometimes for the enemy, uh, for Mr. Putin in a, uh, an intelligence port, are um, hints about who the source of that information is. You know, is it kind of information that could only come from a trusted associate around Ms. Putin or so forth? So there are a lot of people, I assume, 
that'll be very nervous about their standing after this because it will also help uh, our enemies detect the sources of information we have within their governments. Yeah, Peter, last time publicly, the president was talking about the war in Ukraine. He was over there uh, saying that they were doing great and that the support would continue to come and that they would push Russia out of Ukraine eventually. Uh, this paints a much different picture. It does, Brent, especially as they have a large group of Republicans in Congress and some Democrats that want to start scaling back the military assistance to Ukraine. This kind of thing gives them ammo, particularly because President Biden has committed to what amounts essentially to a blank check. He says that the U.S. will be there for as long as it takes. He sees this as a big fight, the world's democracies versus the world's autocrats, Putin. Uh, and he says if Russian succeeds in Ukraine, all of Europe and all democracies in the West are in danger. And so if he is publicly calling for unlimited assistance, uh, while he privately knows that it might not be doing much, or at least it might be doing less uh, than advertised, that is going to create a very big problem, especially as we just talked about in the last bit, uh, as he enters potentially a re-election campaign. Yeah, Mar, this comes in the backdrop of a number of different shifts uh, when it comes to the world geopolitics. You have France and French President Emmanuel Macron going to China with um, Chinese President Xi Jinping and essentially sending the message to European nations that they shouldn't be America followers. And that was interpreted very interestingly, delivering that message while he's on a trip to Beijing. You have Brazil's um, leader now going to China as well. You have China putting together Iran and Saudi Arabia in a deal. You have Russia and China interacting with each other. And you have China flexing its muscle militarily with drills, a lot of them, the biggest yet, around Taiwan in, in recent days. The U.S. military, by the way, will begin its largest ever drills with the Philippines uh, today in a series of exercises with some 17,000 troops. Um, this comes just days after China flexed its muscle around Taiwan. My point is, is that there's a lot of shift here and it all seems to focus on China. Yep, a lot of shifts. And if anyone was unclear about what was the most important and biggest geopolitical rivalry in the world today, well, you just listed all the reasons why it's the West versus China or the U.S. versus China. And of course, what Macron was, the Macron visit was raising was this idea that maybe Europe would not be on the same page with the U.S. regards to China. We've been pretty unified with Europe when it comes to the war in Ukraine. But what Macron was suggesting is maybe Europe should go its own way. Now, he's suggested this kind of thing before that Europe should develop its own defense capacity. And he is an extremely weakened position domestically to bring that message to China. So I think that that was not as consequential as some of the other things you listed. The Middle East, where China is flexing its muscles and, and other things. And this is why I think that there is such bipartisan agreement, very rare in the U.S., that China is the U.S. main competitor, that it is arming itself, that it is intending to take back Taiwan, possibly by force. And it's why you see members of Congress from both parties saying the U.S. has to do more to arm Taiwan. We need to make ourselves independent in terms of computer chips from China. 
But yes, this is the new Cold War with a lot of hot war around the edges. Panel, we'll hold it right there. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Bill, your paper and the editorial board said it very well, as it often does, about this uh, Emmanuel Macron statement in, in China. Uh, I'm quoting here, no one wants a crisis over Taiwan, much less to accelerate one, but preventing one requires a credible deterrent. Mr. Macron seemed to rule out European help with that when he told the journalists on the trip to Beijing that Europeans cannot resolve the crisis in Ukraine. How can we credibly say on Taiwan, watch out, if you do something wrong, we will be there. If you really want to increase tensions, that's the way to do it goes on to say, if Mr. Macron wants to reduce American public support for the war against Russia, he couldn't have said it better. Without U.S. weapons and intelligence, Russia would long ago have rolled over Ukraine and perhaps one or more NATO border countries. Mr. Macron says he wants to make Europe less dependent on U.S. weapons and energy, which is fine. But how about spending the money and making the policy changes to do it? Essentially saying Macron stepped in it with these statements um, (laughs) on the U.S.-France relationship. Yeah, he did, but it's not entirely his fault. I think the um, intel leaks also showed that President Biden is not giving the Ukrainians enough in terms of air defenses, you know, some planes and some missile defenses to uh, to to defend themselves against the Russians. And he, he's been good so far at giving them enough to get by but not enough to prevail. And I think he has to step it up. And I think that's one of the few ways, a few things we can do to guarantee Taiwan, show them that show Russia and China that there's a price to be paid for this misadventure and uh, make sure that you do enough. So you're not uh, coming in later and helping Taiwan after it's been invaded, but you're preventing an invasion uh, for that. And I think, the victory in the Ukraine is very important to that fact. Um, I think China is watching to see what they'll do. And um, if Vladimir Putin just waits it out and takes heavy losses, but ultimately prevails in some way, um, it'll be a plus and a signal to China. Is there talk about that, Peter, over there or at the White House, the, the reaction of China to what happens in Ukraine? No, because... Officials were well aware of the global interest and our interest in stories like over the last couple of months where China was reported to be considering sending lethal aid uh, to Russia to kill Ukrainians in Ukraine. And they took a very hands off approach, as in they they wouldn't even really say don't do it. They were just saying this hasn't happened yet. So we don't have anything to say about it. And that dog knows. That dog uh, does know. That's a big deal. That dog knows. Um, that's Mara's dog. Yes. Oh, Was she, boy. It's, what's his name? Buster. Buster. Buster has made an appearance on the podcast before. But he really <laughs> agrees with what Peter just said. He was just trying to agree with Peter. Go ahead, Peter. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. All the way in Ireland. Great. Uh, no, but I, I do think that this White House has made a practice of waiting until something happens uh, to respond to it domestically and internationally and uh, it seems like that is what they're doing with with china as well you know 
And this is to you again, Peter. I mean, I've seen the back and forth with Kirby uh, in the White House briefing. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes he's it's interesting. I, I always thought he was very good at, at, at being a spokesperson uh, for the National Security Council and at the Pentagon. Before that, he had a tough run at the Afghanistan report uh, and defending, you know, that it really wasn't chaos uh, in the early days of the withdrawal of U.S. military from Afghanistan. But when he talks about China, uh, they don't seem like China is as strong as as everyone portrays it. Is that fair? Their perception of that they think this is a competition. It's not a, you know, head to head crisis with China. But yet uh, President Biden hasn't picked up the phone and said, Xi Jinping, don't do this. X, Y, Z. That's right. And John Kirby, over the last couple of weeks, has had the hardest job in of any communicator, any public communicator, because there are no good answers right now. The, this administration is not uh, putting forward any solutions of what they want to happen. I asked Karine uh, Jean-Pierre the other day if President Biden was still committed to sending U.S. troops to Taiwan to uh, beat back a Chinese invasion if necessary, which is something he said in 60 minutes, uh, in a 60 minutes interview about a year ago. Yeah. And I was not told, I, I was not given a yes or no answer. I was given a, our policy has not changed. And so these are comments that the Chinese are listening to carefully. The Taiwanese are listening to very carefully, uh, especially as they have these meetings with people up to the level of the speaker of the house, uh, in the U S but, uh, it, it's, they are. It's the whole strategic ambiguity that they uh, are embracing, and I get that that's been U.S. policy for a long, long time. But things have not been this close to a potential Chinese takeover of Taiwan in a long, long time. And so yeah, well, I don't know they, how long that's going to hold. If they were looking for a strategic ambiguity, I mean, there has been definitely mud, mud in the waters here for they, um, I a have, number of months. I be, yeah, I believe that this is on purpose. I think that strategic ambiguity being the official policy allows Biden to say these things, which technically are not American policy when he says he'll commit U.S. troops. But isn't it um, a president says something, if, if a president says something, Mara, isn't it U.S. policy? I mean, yes, isn't the president making saying. the call? For them, yes. When he says that, that sounds pretty unambiguous. And then they keep saying we are maintaining the policy of strategic ambiguity. Yeah, um, who's running the shop? You know, President Biden or the, the people shop? behind well, the... I think, yeah, I think that um, clearly Joe Biden wants to present a more muscular posture towards China around Taiwan. And since the administration probably hasn't figured out what's the next step after announcing that, they rely on the, you know, technical, theoretical policy of strategic ambiguity. Um, but... You know, he, there are people in Congress, including including Lindsey Graham, who would like to make the policy. Yes, we will commit U.S. troops to defend Taiwan. I don't know how much else other support that has, but there are people who are willing to go that far. Yeah. And Lindsey Graham, you know, I, I don't think has seen many things that he wouldn't send U.S. military uh, <laughs> to. But, That's um, true. <laughs> but, Bill, I think that uh, it'd be an interesting question up on Capitol Hill uh, how far, you know, most of the senators and congressmen and women would go uh, in U.S. military action to support Taiwan. I think most of them now are saying, get the stuff over there that has been maybe even three years behind schedule as far as arming up Taiwan. 
in in advance of whatever happens. Yes, look, it should be um, worth looking at Ukraine again. I was in Bush House, uh, White House, during the uh, Iraq years in Afghanistan. We would love to have allies that did all the fighting themselves and ask for only resources. We have that in Ukraine. What we don't want to do is have to give Taiwan that kind of support. We want to prevent that from happening. And the time to be strong is now. I'm afraid we're worried about all distractions like TikTok. I mean, it's a valid concern, but we need to build up our Navy and we need to get Taiwan what it needs to do the job itself. And we're not doing it. And I think, uh, you know, sometimes I think Joe Biden thinks the world is like the Senate. You know, you say harsh things in speeches, but then you go have a drink at the end of the day. And uh, it's not. He he seems driven by the fear that he's going to offend someone and uh, is always worried that his actions are provocative. But, you know, Xi Jinping in Iraq, uh, Iran and North Korea and Russia, they're not worried whether their actions are uh, provocative. They want to know whether they're going to succeed. Yeah. Last thing, Peter, I mean, you know, Bill talks about TikTok and we did focus on that a lot because it was coming from Capitol Hill saying this is a real intelligence threat. Uh, it is still a data mining operation from China and that you should get your kids off of it. And we should, as a country, consider banning it. It's still being floated around there. Yet the White House and Democrats overall, but specifically President Biden, have been using young TikTokers uh, to generate support for the president and his policies. So, I mean, the the White House could come out and say this is really a national security threat, and then he ends up on, you know, somebody's TikTok. Well, they're they're conceding that it is also a threat to their ability to reach out to uh, voters under thirty, and it's you know the undeniable kind of cloud hanging over a Biden twenty twenty four run is that he's eighty now. Uh, he'd be. 81 on election day, 82 on inauguration day. They need to reach people, uh, you know, and, and they need help with young voters. And this is an admission, uh, whether they'll say it or not, you know, they can say that there's a national security concern with the app. And so uh, to the point that we won't let anybody download it onto their White House phones. And, uh, and it sounds like they're going to be getting some briefings about stuff that's going on that the press corps is not getting. And if that happens, I can see, uh, it, you know, the number one thing, and you know this, this is not new, um, that the press corps cares about is access. And if they think that they are not getting access that others are being given, that is going to be a big, big ongoing complaint until it stops. Yeah, the screamed at questions ahead of the helicopter don't make up for a full-on news conference. You're exactly right, but we always ask for that. Uh, covering the White House. Hey, listen, guys, this has uh, been a good conversation. These topics are going to continue on. Peter, safe travels uh, in Northern Ireland. Thank you. And now, Thank you. moving away from, from politics for a bit of history, April 11th, 1970, the Apollo 13 spacecraft was launched from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It was the seventh crewed mission in the Apollo space program, the third meant to land on the moon. The mission was cut short when an oxygen tank in the service module failed two days into the flight to the moon, causing an explosion and forcing the crew to return to Earth. The rescue received more public attention than any space flight to that point, 
other than the first moon landing on Apollo 11. 25 years later, it would be adapted into the film Apollo 13, starring, of course, Tom Hanks as Commander Jim Lovell. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Mara, Bill, and Peter, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.